First Thessalonians, and we're almost to the end here, at the very last of this letter in, in chapter 5. And as many of you will know, this was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. During his second missionary journey, he traveled into a bustling city called Thessalonica. And um, he spent a few weeks there preaching the gospel, planted a church, church was established. He ultimately had to be removed out of the city in the, in the um, dark of night because of the persecution there. But he, he left, but the gospel didn't leave. The word stayed, and the church began to grow and to thrive. And Paul... It's at some point after leaving, began began to be concerned about these Christians, these new Christians back in Thessalonica. So he sent Timothy back, who was with him while he was there. He sent Timothy back to check on them and to check on their state, their spiritual state, because of the persecution and other things. And, and, and Timothy went and visited them, spent some time with them, encouraged them in the Lord, and then came back to Paul. And after Paul received this um, update from Timothy, he writes this letter, First Thessalonians, to them. And it was an encouraging letter about some of the things that he had heard from Timothy. And although the, this book, this letter, 1 Thessalonians, covers a lot of different topics, there is one topic that just keeps rising up, chapter after chapter, and that's the second coming of Christ. And how are we, as Christians, how are they, as new Christians, to live in the light of Christ returning? How should they live today, knowing that he is coming back one day? So, with that in mind, we're going to begin reading towards the end of the, of the chapter, verse, chapter 5. Let's stand, if you would, as we always do for the reading of God's Word. And we'll be reading just, or, or, or thinking of really just about a few verses today, but I want to kind of back up to verse 14 and set the stage of, of what he's about to say. So, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, Now we exhort you, with the we, of course, being Paul and Timothy, and Titus, who were writing this letter. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful to have your word and how it teaches us. And we come here today because we believe First of all, that you're worthy of our assembling and, and worshiping together because you've told us to come together and we want to honor your commands. And we've come because we believe that your, your word has something for us today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help every single individual in this building today to, for the next half hour, 35 minutes, to focus in on, on you, on your word, and exactly what you have for us today. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You can be seated. Beginning in verse 22, Paul writes, Abstain from all appearance of evil. To abstain, as you know, is to stay away from something. It's to refrain from, from something. It might be to refrain from speaking. I'm going to abstain from speaking in this situation. It means to stay away from something. Abstinence is used primarily in our culture today as from um, sexual relations, staying away from that. And in the Bible as well, First Thessalonians, if you look just one chapter to the left, in chapter 4 and verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. First Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. There are some things that we are to abstain from, but Paul here instructs us to abstain from all appearance of evil. The, the word appearance is an interesting word. It has to do with the, the form of something or the, the shape of something. The same word is actually used for the Holy Ghost. When Jesus was being baptized at the river and the Holy Ghost came in the form of a dove. It was the Holy Ghost that was appearing to them, but he was, he was in the appearance like as a dove. It's the same word here. So it means the form of something. The Holy Ghost was there, but his form was a dove. And so while we should be cautious, I believe we should be cautious about doing anything ever that would cause somebody else to stumble, to sin. What this is not saying is that we must always, we should never do anything that anybody could ever perceive as being wrong and being sinful. We're to avoid sin in every way, in every shape, in every form. So it doesn't mean that if I go to Cracker Barrel today that I cannot order a root beer because root beers are only sold in glass bottles and that could look like something else. If you, if you believe that, that's fine, but that's not what this is teaching. What this is teaching is that we're to avoid all sin in every form. Because sometimes sin can be sort of dis, disguised. So let's take the sin of gossip, for example. We would all probably say that Speaking evil of somebody is sin. It's evil. It's, it's evil. It's sinful to speak, to slander somebody else. But sometimes we can kind of approach it a different way and say, I don't mean anything disrespectful by this, but did you see what she was wearing today? I don't mean to be mean. I'm not trying to gossip, but. Or if you're really spiritual, you might say, listen, guys, I just want to pray for our brother. He's... You're not, not going to believe this, but this is what he did. You haven't approached him about it. You haven't talked to him. You haven't prayed for him, but you're wanting to pray for him, right? Th- that's sin. It may be in a different form, but it's still sin. Paul is saying, abstain, stay away from any type, any form, any sh- if, it's, if, if God says that it's sin, no matter how you twist it, it's sin, and stay away from it. When... Isabella was little. She had a, a, an episode one day where she got stung by a wasp, or maybe a couple of wasps. We're not for sure, but we realized on that day that she's very contagious, or if she's not contagious, she's very allergic to wasp stings because her hands swelled up, her arms swelled up. It was not a good day. And it changed her life because from that day forward, she did not want to walk outside the door. 
I mean, for, I mean, the next summer, we're saying, Isabella, go play. And she says, no, I think there's wasps out there. She was afraid to go outside. She was abstaining from the thing that was going to hurt her. That, that's abstaining. I'm not going to go outside because that's harmful. And that's the idea here about sin. We're to abstain from anything that is evil, that is sinful. We're to hide from it. We're to run from it. At the side of sin, we're to abstain and say, I don't want any part of that. That's a pretty all-encompassing command, isn't it? All. It's a small word. All. Abstain from all appearance of evil. It's a small word, but it covers a lot of things. And Paul has just given this long list, rapid-fire list. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then he ends it up, he kind of sums it up like this. Oh, and by the way, don't do anything that's wrong. Stay away from everything that's bad. Somebody might have read this letter if he stopped right there and been kind of discouraged. I quit. I can't do it. I can't pray without ceasing. I can't rejoice evermore. I can't give thanks in everything. I have to retaliate when somebody wrongs me. I abstain from all appearance of evil. That's impossible. If they would have ended it right there, it would have been very negative. But Paul goes on. He doesn't end it there. In verse 3, he gives some good news. 23, rather. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. Holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to talk just for a moment about the title given to God here. The very God of peace. God has many names in scripture. In Romans 15, it's called the God of patience and consolation. In the same chapter, he's called the God of hope. He's called the God of all grace in 1 Peter. But this one, this one's really good. The God of peace. Because life can be anything but peaceful sometimes. Life can be very chaotic sometimes. And so we don't want a God that is a God of chaos. We need a God of peace. God is not the author of confusion, but of what? Peace. God is not the author of confusion. He's the God of peace. But not just the kind of peace that we need in our daily lives, like my kids are being crazy today and I just need a moment of peace. It's much more than that. If, you, if you've read the book of Revelation, and many of you have, you'll find that God is not just a God of peace, but he's also a God of wrath. We sung about that today in, in the song we just finished. Revelation 6.17 says this, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son, talking about the Son of God, hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. What does that mean? Every human being is born in sin. Since our father Abraham sinned, and Eve sinned in the garden, that sin has been passed on from generation to generation, and because of that, all men have sinned. There is none righteous, no, not one. But God is holy. And because God is holy, sin cannot go unpunished. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished, and so his wrath is to be poured out on sin and the world. But then there's good news, because 2,000 years ago, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, that's his wrath, 
but have everlasting life. And, and the blood of Jesus, the perfect land that the choir sing about today, was shed to, 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 make, to pay a penalty that none of us could ever afford. That's, that's the gospel. And his blood became a payment because it was perfect. And, and so whenever we believe on Jesus Christ, whenever we trust him as our Savior, we don't just get a free pass into heaven, but something much bigger and better has happened, and that is that the sin that was against us, that we had committed, is no longer against us. It's called justification. We're declared to be righteous. We're declared to be clean. The, the Lord himself takes his robes of righteousness and clothes us with his righteousness. What a wonderful exchange. And you may be thinking that's impossible. How can somebody who has sinned in his past not be now seen as a sinner? That's justification. It's, it's, it's the great judge taking the, the gavel and pronouncing not guilty. Not by our own works, not by any good that you and I can do, but because the righteous one who was perfect and without blemish came and shed his blood for all who will receive him. Now look back in verse number 9 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Because leading up to this, if you read the end of chapter 4 and here in verse, chapter 5, he's talking very much about the wrath of God and the, and the coming of Christ. But in verse 9 of chapter 5, Paul writes, For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Who's he talking to? Christians in this church in Thessalonica. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation from the wrath. Christ, who died for us, verse 10, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. God is a God of wrath. And he didn't just look down on our sin and change his mind and say, I, I was going like we sometimes do with our children. Well, I was going to punish you. I was going to punish your sin, but I've changed my mind. I'm not going to do that. That's not the way it was with God. He didn't change his mind, but he looked down and the blood had been, the sins that we had committed had been paid for, had been covered with the blood of Jesus. So it's not that he just had a change of heart and said, well, sin doesn't need to be paid for anymore, but it's rather that we trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross. His blood was applied to our lives, covered our sin, and now when the Father looks down on us, he doesn't see our sinful conditions, but he sees the precious blood of Jesus, the robes of righteousness that are now upon us. That's justification. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the very God of peace. That's justification. But along with justification comes sanctification. And that's what we see in this text. Verse 23, back in chapter 5. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the most important concepts to understand, that of sanctification. To sanctify means to set apart for a purpose to purify, to make holy, to set it apart for God and God's purpose. It is God's purpose for every believer that would be sanctified, set apart from sin, and set apart to the world. From the world. 
in the Bible there, sanctification is really used in three different ways, past, present, and future sanctification. For those who are saved, we have been sanctified. We have been washed. In 1 Corinthians, we, won't, we don't have to turn there, but you could write this down, chapter 6 and verse 9. Know ye not, Paul is again writing to a church in Corinth, that he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor accusers or abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Gives this long list of sin and says these, the, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse 11, he, he gives this great news. And such were some of you. But, he says, ye are washed Ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So do you see the link between justification, salvation, and sanctification? We were justified, and when we were justified, we were also sanctified. We were set apart for Christ. At the moment of salvation, at the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ... Your sins are forgiven. You, he, he puts that robe of righteousness on you. You're adopted into the family of God, and you're set apart for a purpose. You're sanctified. Positionally, if you're saved, you are sanctified. You are a saint. Christians are called saints all throughout the New Testament. And saints are not some kind of a super-Christian. Like, you have risen to this rank in the bureaucratic ladder of Christianity, and now you are a saint. It certainly does not mean sinless. It doesn't mean perfection. It means sanctified. We are saved. We are holy now. We are set apart for God. Past sanctification. And then there's an ongoing sanctification that's often spoken of in the Bible. Practical. Set apart from the world, from sin, and set apart to God. For our good and for God's glory. And and, and this is what we'll talk a little more about shortly, but sanctification is becoming more like him. Being set apart more from the world, more from sin, more from Satan, and and more to God. Christ-likeness, sanctification. And sometimes it seems like in this life, and as we try to live a sanctified life, it does sometimes seem like we take one step backwards and, and then and a step forward and then a couple steps backwards, and we can get sometimes frustrated because of the sin that we have, can't we? And sometimes you might even think, if I were really saved, I would not struggle with a sin like I do. And, and, and Satan uses that to put doubt in, in people's minds. He uses, he got, Satan uses shame to put into people's minds and say, if you were really saved, then you wouldn't do the same thing today that you did last week. But, but if there's a struggle going on inside of us over sin, we can be encouraged by that. If there's a struggle inside of you of a part of you saying, I know I need to do right, but I'm struggling. Another part of you saying, ah, just this one, one more time will be okay. That's a, that's a positive sign. Because before you ever get saved, there is not that struggle. 
There is not the Holy Spirit of God living within you, pushing you to do right. So if you, so if you, if, if you are quenching the Spirit of God inside of you when you sin, then be encouraged. Not that you want to quench the Holy Spirit of God, but be encouraged that he is in you, and he's living in you, and he is sanctifying you. So there is a, a past sanctification that takes place immediately at the moment of salvation. There's an ongoing sanctification process, and then there's a future sanctification that will happen one day. It's set in motion at salvation. 1 Corinthians 15.52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trump shall sound, and the dead, in cry, or the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The corruption will put on incorruption. The, the mortality that we have will put on immortality. 1 John 3.2. This is a wonderful scripture to think about. Beloved, we're, we are, or now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. There's still some questions. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One day we will be like him. We will see him in a moment. We will be like him. We will be, we will be, in a moment we will become clean and perfect and spotless. He will bring it about to completion. Now one thing we, we, we need to understand about this sanctification is that even though we're active participants, the work of sanctification is the Lord's work. It's his work. Sanctification is God's work. Just as much as you could not save yourself, you cannot sanctify yourself. Back in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 really is a request from Paul. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. It's that God would sanctify them. Not that God would aid them in the sanctification process. Not that God would, maybe where they messed up, he would come and sort of clean things up and pick up the slack for them, but that God would sanctify them. The very God of peace sanctify you. And so after this long list that Paul gives, beginning in verse 14 through verse number 22, where he says, don't do this and keep doing this and do more of this. And, 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 and by the way, abstain from all appearance of evil. Lest they think that everything is completely reliant on their ability to follow these instructions and obey God's word. He reminds them that sanctification is not in their own power. It's God who will do the work. If you're counting on yourself to make yourself what you ought to be, then you're in for a real struggle. It's very depressing to try to do everything on our own. I know I need to be doing this and this, and I shouldn't be doing that, but I keep doing it, and I just can't get this right. I just can't do it. That's right. You can't. You can't, but, but God is doing it through you. Now, how does God sanctify us? And I want to give you just two ways from our text. Like we, could, we could say other things, but two from our text. Number one, he sanctifies us through his word. Paul is just giving this, given this string of commandments from verse 14 to, to, to 21. Then he says, abstain from all appearance of evil. So, so God is using his word to sanctify by revealing to us the way that we ought to walk. God is telling us, here is the way, now walk in it. Here is the map, now follow. Here are the instructions, now do it. Look back to verse... Um, 11. Let's just read these again, at least some of them. These are the things that, that God has given to Paul to give to these people and saying, this is the way. 
This is the way. Verse 11, comfort yourselves and edify one another. Encourage each other. Verse 12, we beseech you to know them which labor among you, those that are over you in the Lord. Verse 13, esteem them highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourself. Verse 14, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Don't get revenge, but ever follow that which is good. 16, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. 19, quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove everything. Prove all things. These are the sanctifying words of Scripture. He doesn't say, this is God's sanctifying work, so just relax. God's going to take care of it. You don't have to do anything. He doesn't sanctify us subconsciously while we sleep. We don't, you, you'll never wake up more sanctified than you went to bed. God, thank you for what you did for me last night. I can really feel it this morning. No, God uses his word to sanctify us. The prayer of Jesus in John 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Turn over to the second letter to the Thessalonians. Chapter 2. Verse 13, but we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brother and beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit, the Spirit's work and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren... He's already said that sanctification was through the Spirit. Now he says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. So sanctification is through the Spirit, but we have a work to do. We're to hold fast the teachings. We're to hold fast those traditions which were passed down either by the preaching of the word or by the written word of God. We're sanctified by the word. Secondly, we're sanctified through prayer. Back in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul shifts in verse 23 from exhorting or commanding us to be holy to asking God to make us holy. Verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. We have a reliance on God. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew that it was God who was going to be doing the sanctified work. He knew that it was God's will for them to be sanctified. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. And so he prayed toward that end. Knowing that God is sanctifying, knowing that God has sanctified at salvation, that God is sanctifying, and that one day he will sanctify, Paul prayed that God would do a sanctifying work. Back in chapter 3 of verse 1 Thessalonians, Chapter, uh, verse number 10, Paul writes, Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. He's praying day and night that he can get back to Thessalonica to these people that he might perfect that which is lacking in their faith. Notice his emphasis on, on God being the source of sanctification in the next verse. 
Verse 11, now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. He wants to get back to them. Verse 12, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. That's sanctification, increasing and abounding in love toward one another. Who's going to do it? The Lord's going to do it. And toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. The work really is the Lord's. Paul recognized it. It didn't mean that the people had no part, but the work was the Lord's. We can reform our actions. We can try to clean up the outside. But we have, we're incapable of doing anything on the inside. So Paul is praying that your whole body and spirit and soul would be preserved blameless. Only the Lord can do that. Jude said, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It's a divine work, sanctification is. It's a divine work. But it's also an all-encompassing work. Verse 23, I want you to see this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And we're talking about sanctification, which often is, is, is translated as holy, H-O-L-Y, but here he's saying, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y. That is every part. You know, when it's time to do dishes, we don't segment off the dishes and say, let's get this part really clean, this part not as important, and why don't you just leave the, sec- the right half, just don't worry about that one, right? Because we want it clean in its entirety, wholly clean, every part to be clean. That's what the word here is, that he might sanctify you wholly, every part of you. We're not going to leave some parts off and say, God, not this part. Clean this part. I want, to re- I want to get right here. I want to fix this, but I kind of am liking the way this is here, so let's just ignore that for now. No. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And then he, and he puts it a step further to make sure that it's understood. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole person will be sanctified. Not like the Pharisees in Luke chapter 11 who made clean the outside of the platter, but inside they were ravening wolves. That's not what he's looking to do. That's not what he will do. And it's not one that that maybe cleans up on the inside, but there's really nothing showing on the outside. No, no. He wants every part to be, every part will be sanctified. Externally, internally, inwardly, outwardly. Your whole body and spirit and soul. There's nothing left out there, is there? God wants every part of us. God wants every part of us. God wants us to surrender every part of us. He wants to do a sanctifying work in every part of us. Now, I think we're still in chapter 5. I want to read one more verse, and this is a fitting place to end. Verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Who's he talking about? God. 
God is the one he's praying to. God is the one who is faithful. Faithful, God is the one who called us to salvation. And faithful is he that calleth you. He is going to do it. You may not be faithful all the time, but God is faithful. And what God says he will do, he will do. We don't have to fret over it and worry about it. God is conforming you to the image of his dear son day by day. If you're a believer, if you are a born-again believer in Christ, then he's doing a work in you. And he will complete it one day. And how does he do it? He does it through the prayer of his saints. We'll have to pray for one another. And he does it through his word. He does it through his word. And we have a part in that. So we ought to read his word. We ought to study his word. We ought to love his word and meditate on his word and trust it and believe it. God is working on you, Christian. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're all works in progress. All of us are works in progress. And although you may appear to have it all together to some people, and I may appear to have it together by some people, somebody may come up to you and say, I just want you to know that you're just doing an awesome job. I just love the way you, you know, the way you're raising your children. You're just, you're just like a, a model parent. But deep down inside, you know you, right? You know you. You know when your, your fuse is short with them sometimes, and you know when you say things you shouldn't say. And somebody may come up to you and say, I just, you're just so kind all the time. You're just always so nice. How do you do it? But you know you. And you know that you're not always so kind. You know that you often have thoughts about people and about things that are not all that kind. We, 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 know, we know ourselves. We may be able to fool other people, but we know ourselves. And, of course, God knows us. You know about the besetting sins that weigh on you, that frustrate you, that discourage you, that bring you down. You know, about, you know about that. You know that, that about the things that you can't seem, you want to conquer them, but you just keep getting, you just keep falling again. You, you, you know that. But, but there's good news. There is coming a day, there is coming a day when those sins that so easily beset us now will no longer pull us down. Sin, there, there is coming a day when evil will be banished from the world. We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Every part of you at that day will be whole, perfect, holy, sanctified. Every part of you. One day it will happen. But it's ongoing now. It's happening today. It's ongoing. It, God is wanting to do it, and he is doing it. It's not your work. And when you try to make it all about you, you'll be discouraged. When you try to make everything about you and what I need to do and how I need to live and I just got to do this and I, 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 you will be discouraged. But God is able. God is able. He will do it. He is doing it. And we can trust him. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. That's for the believer. But there are some here that are not yet believers. There are some who either you've rejected the truth You've never fully surrendered to Christ. Maybe you've never really heard the gospel in a way that you understood it. But you're, you're not being sanctified. You've not been sanctified. If that's you, then you're still under the wrath of God. You're still under the, the wrath of God because you're still living in sin. And, and sin cannot be unpunished. Sin must be dealt with. And there's no worse place to be 
than under the wrath of God, Almighty God. But there's good news for you too. Because the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross was not sufficient just for a few. It was, it was sufficient for the sins of the entire world. For those who will turn to him and call on him and repent of their sins and call on him and trust him and believe on him, then the wrath will be removed. And you can say with Paul, we're not appointed unto wrath. And I would encourage you today, do it today. Today is the day of salvation. Behold, today, is, now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Not say, ah, I'm going to live it out. I'm sure I can, out, I'm sure I can outlast God. Don't, don't, today is the day of salvation. Nobody wants to face the wrath of God. It's, it's, it's unimaginable. Nobody wants to face the wrath of God. But there is, there is mercy to be found in Jesus, in the blood he shed. Today is the day. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I pray, the piano is going to play, and we're going to invite you to come and, and, and follow Christ and trust Christ. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you say, I, I just don't get it. I'm scared because I don't want to face his wrath. I don't want to face his wrath, but I don't, I don't understand. Then, then I want to encourage you to come today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Come, ask questions. Maybe you've been trusting in yourself to fix all your problems, and today you just need to say, Lord, I'm casting it all on you. I'm casting my burdens on you, these weights that I've been carrying. I'm going to give them to you and trust you. Maybe you've not been as committed to the Word of God and your sanctification process as you should have been. Today, let's make decisions today that will eternally change our lives, that will will impact our families and our church and our community. Today. Today.